Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks. We are back with a, another Indian Wells update pod since we last came to you. My car's passed its MOT quote with flying colours, uh, which makes me feel like I've achieved. Uh, Matt has done a 9K run. I'll say that again, a 9K run. And David has had a 15-minute nap. So a bit big weeks all round, I would say. Yeah, and I got told that I had the blood pressure of a 21-year-old, so I'm pumped. Well, don't get pumped because that will raise your blood pressure, but <laughs> sure. Matt, 9K run, what's going on? Are you one of those those people now that talk about Strava all the time? <laughs> Do you know, I've deliberately never made any of my running information public knowledge. Well, I'm doing it for you now. Yes. Um, <laughs> I have buggered my ankle. Potentially, as you said, the universe telling me that 9K is too many K. Um, yeah, the, the footnote to this update is that after Matt's 9K run, yeah, ankle was buggered and David, quote, effed himself up for two hours after his 15-minute <laughs> nap. <laughs> so, but no downsides to my excellent MOT result. That's just... Nothing but good news, folks. Other than the fact that Billie Jean had to have an hour and 45 minute walk in South Wimbledon, um, which I'm not sure was her favourite morning of the week. But anyway, she's now asleep on my shoulder, ready to pod and talk Indian Wells where, okay, so the women are partly at the semi-final stage. We've got one women's semi-final set. The rest of the women are still at the quarterfinal stage and the men are all at the quarterfinal stage. Is that correct, Matt? That is correct, yes. Make it make sense, but that is right. Why are Victoria Azarenka and Yelena Ostapenko so ahead of the game? What's... Why... <laughs> why are they at a different stage of the tournament to everyone else? Who knows? Anyway, that is where we find ourselves. Victoria Azarenka reached the semi-finals via a straight sets win over Jessica Pegula in the day session yesterday. That is the match that I've currently got on replay on the screen 
in front of me and Yelena Ostapenko who beat Shelby Rogers in her quarterfinal she came from 1-3 love 40 down in that quarterfinal and before that she beat Iga Svantec um in double quick fashion two straight sets and Svantec in her match previous to that had as we discussed on, Mon- on Monday only lost the one game so we thought Svantec was happening and then Ostapenko started happening even more i mean is Ostapenko happening? Is this her one week one week in every three years when she is better than everyone else in the world that's ever played tennis? What what is going on? She was amazing in that match last night. And look, I realise I only saw highlights this morning because at the moment I'm going to bed at 9.30pm uh, every night. So I don't get to see it live with the time difference over here. But I don't know whether the eight-minute highlight reel that I saw is unrepresentative of the rest of the match. And I did look up winners. I was trying to desperately find the stats to show winners, but they didn't show them. Because every single rally she played in the highlights ended with a winner on the third shot for her. I mean, she she hit such a clean ball. And it doesn't quite seem right that she gets it right so often. Because to me, she looks like she's hitting the forehand late quite often and she's hitting it like a frying pan there's no sort of brushing the strings up the back of the ball whatsoever she is just paddling the ball like it's uh like she's just sort of just been handed a racket for the first time and is holding it in a sort of chopper grip that you used to get when you're about eight and uh but her timing was exceptional she was winding up Rogers no end because perfectly decent serves or ground strokes were just coming back like lasers. And uh, yeah, Ostapenko, she continues to be incredibly dangerous and she continues to give some of the best face on a tennis court that there is. Sort of Billie Jean K9-like. My impression of Ostapenko this week has been that it hasn't all been perfect all the time. Uh, I've, I've watched a few of her matches and, and it does seem she's had quite a lot of up and downs. But I actually think in a way that makes it more impressive that she's got to where she is. Because, as you said, we know that when she is playing her best, she can just hit winners easily. She can be completely sort of untouchable from the baseline when she's timing it so well. Um, and yet... I think she's had lots of periods in matches where that's happened, but she's also had to manage the ups and downs and manage the errors coming and sort of stop them coming. And got to say, Matt, managing ups and downs is uh, is not a quality I necessarily have credited Yelena Ostapenko well, with in the past. Exactly. That's why I think it's it's noteworthy that she's been able to do it. Um, almost similar to what we said about some of Arena Sabalenka's runs at the slams this year that they stood out not necessarily because she was playing brilliantly all the time but she was winning matches where she perhaps wasn't always at her best but yeah I agree certainly the final five games of that match against Rogers last night was Ostapenko at her best just winners galore Um, and she said she feels quite fresh mentally compared I think to a lot of the other players I think you know it's been a taxing season Petra Kvitova certainly spoke about that this week saying just how just how exhausted she is mentally and physically and of course Ostapenko was was a 11th hour withdrawal wasn't she from the US Open she actually had to miss that tournament so I I think she maybe hasn't played quite as much tennis in these last 
couple of months as some of the other players and she's sort of taken advantage of that freshness this week and, and brought it to Indian Wells. I think it's her first thousand level semi final for three years. So as you said, this it is that one week every three years where it <laughs> where it is sort of coming together for Oscar Pinker fan there. Uh, Catherine, can, can I also draw your attention to something that happened at the end of the first set when Ostapenko broke Rogers for 5-4 and she shouted, come on, and then she sort of waved her arms in a kind of get up for me kind of manner in a largely empty and almost entirely American stadium, <laughs> which, I mean, there must have been about 14 American people watching and that's about it. But she was waving at them to, to get behind her against the all-American girl. I have to say, I haven't um, seen much of Ostapenko's matches this week. I'm certainly going to be tuning in for Ostapenko as a ranker. Um, but just thinking about it now, it kind of makes sense to me maybe that these courts would suit her because when she's in the right position, when she's got time, she can hit the ball as well as anyone, right? She can create a winner from anywhere. She can hit through a slow court. She's won the French Open. She's shown that her her issue is not being in the right position so much of the time. So having that extra bit of time, um, you know, on a slow court perhaps uh, perhaps is suiting her. So And a shoulder hey, high as well. I think yeah. she quite likes it there. Yeah, I'm very much here for Ostapenko Azarenka. Azarenka hasn't uh, lost a set yet. She's obviously won this tournament before. She's, you know, she's beaten uh, Kvitova, as you said, Sasnovic, who backed up her win over... Uh, Emirati Kanu with a win over Simona Halep that I think we briefly discussed on Monday uh, and she beat Jessica Pagula in this match that I got on uh, in front of me here. So that feels like a kind of something's got to give match because they both they both have looked a bit unstoppable up to this point. So uh, Azarenka Ostapenko, that'll be tomorrow, Matt, Friday? <laughs> I mean, I think Who it must knows? be. Who knows? <laughs> We're running out, otherwise. <laughs> we we think we'll get both semi-finals tomorrow and uh, two quarter-finals today. And they will be on Shabur, today being Thursday, by the way, that's when we're recording this. Those two other quarter-finals uh, in the women's competition will be on Shabur against Annette Contivate and Paola Badosa against Angelique Kerber. Um, now, just in terms of Ons Jabeur, a lot of confusion for me this morning about whether she is, in fact, a top 10 player. Um, she certainly received all the congratulatory perks of being a top 10 player. Everyone's delighted for her to have reached the world's top 10. Um, the, the only snag is that she hasn't actually reached <laughs> the world's top 10. She She almost certainly will, <laughs> but she hasn't actually done it there the yeah the situation as it stands right now as we record is that she will make her top 10 debut if she advances to the semi-final regardless of other results so if she beats Annette Contivate today in soon to be out of date tennis news she is a confirmed top 10 player alternatively if she loses against Annette Contivate, she can still be a top 10 player or will still be a top 10 player unless Kerber beats Badossa or Contevet wins the title. Are you saying, therefore, Catherine, that Billie Jean King and Andy Murray should have kept their tweets in drafts? Yeah, well, we've all been there, haven't we? But, <laughs> but yes. 
Well, more to the point, Tennis Channel should have done because they're the ones who I think alerted everybody on the planet to this likelihood. I feel sorry for her because when she actually reaches the top ten, which does, you know, touch would feel inevitable. Will they? Will they re-congratulate her? Because I doubt she's got the pleasure that she would ideally want to get from having such warm congratulations because she's, you know, presumably very focused and not wanting to jinx things, jinx things or get carried away at the moment. But, you know, when when it does happen, she deserves all all the all the warm wishes and she deserves to enjoy them. The really worrying part might be that she already thinks she's in the top 10 because I saw her replying thank you to all these oh, no. lovely people congratulating her on reaching the top 10. Um, in Tennis Channel's defence, the rankings are extremely complicated at the moment. And I think lots of people did think she'd already reached the top 10. But of course, now that it's been worked out that she actually hasn't, it does seem like a massive misstep. I, I always think of Peter Corder and Petra Kvitova at times like this, who were two in the world, and I think both of them won match from world number one, um, mm. and they never quite actually got there. Oh, there's a there's a tennis relived show. One match from number one. Yeah, is it only those two? <laughs> They're the only two we I just remember. Done the show. <laughs> is it only those two? Come I on, David. Know. Oh, I thought you might know that off the top of your head. Come on, I mean, it's bad it's enough you're asking Matt about sort of things that he doesn't know the answer yeah, to. I mean, I don't know you, the answer to most things. You're good. You're good on the past. <laughs> well, I've just come up with two out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Right, right then, Jabir, Contivate, Badosa, Kerber. Who's impressed us the most, Matt? I think you and I both both watched Contivate beat Andrescu um, in a drama-packed match. Shocker for an Andrescu match um, that we, I think we, judging by the tone of our texts, I think we were both kind of expecting Andrescu to find a way in that match and, and Contivate in fact showed, really showed something there, maybe showed a continuation of, you know, what we've hinted at with her winning these these lower level titles, having Dmitry Tursunov in her corner. Maybe, maybe these are sort of incremental steps forward for Annette Contivate. Is that you two living in the past then? Because I would have thought the same, that Andrescu will find a way. But that is, I'm sure that I still, whenever I think of Andrescu, I just think of the woman who won Indian Wells mm. in the US Open. Yeah, no, you're right. I am, I am still swayed by everything we saw from Andrescu in 2019. I'm sure of it. You know, it's, it's two years on, she's not the same player anymore. Oh, that sounds a bit... I know. I I, I regret That's those words. Um, I think the feeling I had watching it is that Andrescu is is still capable of something out of nothing or something unpredictably brilliant. I, I still believe she's got that in in her, even in in this lack of form she's in at the moment. Um, I thought because it was a close match, it might take something like that to to sort of change the match. But it just didn't come. And in the end, Contivate's sort of more consistent, relentless, high level was too much for Andrescu at the moment. Um, so I have been impressed with Contivate. I've been particularly impressed with Badosa. I've seen a couple of her matches. Um, she played Coco Goff on the night when it was incredibly windy. I think they actually had to stop play for, for a portion of the evening. Um, 
really windy and she just dealt with the conditions brilliantly. I think she only hit six winners in the match, but she only hit seven unforced errors. It was two and two, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a thrashing. She kept everything so tight and just had a really good attitude and approach to that match and sort of let Goff be the one to sort of lose the match. Um, And then Badosa beat Krachikova, who was the last remaining top 10 player in the draw. Um, She beat her in straight sets. They're really good friends, which I must say I didn't know, but they had a really nice exchange at the end of the match. But, you know, it wasn't one of those weird matches between friends. It was properly competitive. And I, yeah, I'm just, I'm pleased to see Badosa doing well because she's, she had a brilliant season, but just the last, month couple of months her results hadn't been quite so good she's had a change of coach and she said this was in Spanish she said this but she was confident she'd made the right decision to change coach but sometimes you do need a result to sort of really give you the belief that it's been the right decision and that's kind of what she's got this week um, because her her results have backed up her feeling have backed up her good performances um, and yeah, I've been really impressed with her. And she's got a little shoulder problem, some strapping, which doesn't sound great. Some strapping. <laughs> she's she she's mummified. <laughs> which I was really worried about. She said she said it is an issue, but it's not getting any worse. But that's probably one to watch as she as she faces Kerber. Um, I like how these quarterfinals have shaken out. I must say, there's as I said, there's no. There were no top 10 players left in the draw at the quarterfinal stage, but just lots, lots, all compelling matches, all interesting storylines. We've got this extra element of the race to the WTA finals being in play for so many of these players that, you know, there's just a lot on the line for all of them. It's, it's, it's interesting. That stat is very pointed, Matt, for poor Ons Jabeur, who's been <laughs> thanking people for their congratulations at being a top 10 player. There are no top 10 players left in the draw not even you ons um it it feels like there are top 10 players left in the draw though doesn't it because you've got players that everybody knows that when in form are de facto top 10 players victoria azarenka angelique kerber they might be more Mm. more in and out than they have been in fact i think kerber on the basis of the whole of the second half of this season has been comfortably a a top ten player, so it it feels a lot mm. more more heavyweight than uh, than that stat suggests. Yeah, her, her resurgence a little bit, not maybe as dramatically as Azarenka a year ago, but it just it does feel like really good news for the sport that she's managed to get back into this group as well and show the des- the desire to to keep going and to keep showing she's got something i mean andy murray's got it in the in the men's side okay he's got more of a dramatic reason perhaps but i do, i like that and just on 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 the i i imagine it is only a matter of time before she's going to make the top 10 whether it's this week or not but what an achievement it is that she has done this this year i mean if you think back that we had that interview with her at the start of the year didn't we and uh she was so desperate to win a first title and sort of become a factor at the sharp end of some of the bigger tournaments and her road through to to where she is in the quarterfinals in Indian Wells I already feel like this is a big moment for her you know she's come through good players and she's doing it in real style she's beating people comfortably and she's handling the pressure of knowing that she's in the running for the WTA finals and still coming up with the goods and and I mean I don't know how can you not watch her and smile at the tennis she plays yeah agreed I think everybody 
everybody does um yeah so we so we've we've essentially there just added our names to the list of people congratulating on Jabur I'm going to congratulate her in advance here yeah. on the podcast cuz I yeah. think she's going to do it <laughs> yeah I don't know how we'll cover it when she when she actually does do it uh we'll just replay this section of the pod anyway it's as you say David a good week regardless uh and I'm very much here for Jabur against Contivate. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in, being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times. Well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Uh, in terms of the men's quarterfinal lineup, um, it's hard to say whether there's fewer surprises, more surprises. Don't really know. Uh, there's no utter shocks, but there are some. There is there have been some quirky results along the way. Maybe the quirkiest of the lot came yesterday, last night, UK time. Grigor Dimitrov beating Daniil Medvedev. From- I'd call that a big shock. Yeah, certainly from from the position he found himself in, which was utterly down and out in that match. A set and 4-1 down? 4-1 double break. 4-1 double break down to the top seed and US Open champion, Daniil Medvedev. Um, you've just written on the agenda here, Matt. What the hell happened? 
Mm. I was hoping for an answer rather than a question because <laughs> I don't know the answer. Well, I was watching Norrie versus Tommy Paul at the time because that was the closer contest. I was keeping an eye on on that Medvedev-Dimitrov match. But from everything I was reading about it, it sounded like Medvedev was just cruising, you know, playing really well, not giving anything away, no unforced errors, being so hard to beat that even Dimitrov playing quite well couldn't really get close to him. And then what happened was a collapse. I mean, a complete collapse from Medvedev. His, he couldn't get his serve in suddenly. He stopped being sort of miserly from the baseline and ended up giving away so many cheap points and bad unforced errors. And at the same time, Dimitrov played brilliantly. I mean, really stunning tennis from him, using that slice backhand to draw Medvedev in to take the rhythm away to give him a different look and then using his own athleticism to extend the rallies and win the long rallies and it was brilliant to watch Dimitrov like that a real a a flurry of his best tennis and I must say normally that's accompanied by oh my god Dimitrov's happening this is the moment what if this is his time but that's the thing there was none of that. And I don't know whether that's sad well, that none of that was attached. Well, maybe there was for David. But <laughs> um, for me, it just allowed me to just appreciate that 50 minutes of tennis or whatever it was from Dimitrov. It was just nice to watch for, for that length of time. But um, yeah, but, very strange from Medvedev. Yeah, it reminded me of the less dramatic in tennis terms meltdown he had against Andre Rublev in Cincinnati, um, which obviously was pre- precipitated by a very dramatic incident with a TV camera, which he later ended up later ended up sort of assaulting in frustration. Um, now, he was less in control of the, the scoreline. I can't remember exactly what stage it was. It felt like he was in control of the match, but not as decisively as he was here against Dimitrov. But I remember after that loss to Rublev in Cincinnati, massive questions suddenly being asked about whether he'd regressed, you know, on on the player that he'd transformed himself into, the one that had reached the US Open final two years previously and the Australian Open final earlier that year, you know, whether he was letting the sort of immature parts of his personality that Gilles Savarin, he had worked so hard to to iron out whether he was letting them creep back in. And then, of course, he went went on to reach the US Open. And, you know, there were various points in that run when I was waiting, desperately hanging out for aggro. And he just he just wasn't prepared to go to aggro town, was he, Daniil Medvedev? And it was like all of that pent-up aggro <laughs> that he has been wanting to release. I don't know, it felt like all of that came out yesterday and he just turned into a a teenager on the court briefly you know it was it was it was very strange interesting to listen to him in his press comments afterwards because he he said a few really interesting things one he said i was i have been really exhausted since the us open obviously he played the labor cup as well he said i wouldn't say that before the matches of course but i can say it now and i mean he did he also gave a, another couple of really interesting insights, and I think maybe we can take something a little bit of this to what happened in Cincinnati and then the US Open. He said, I definitely don't think this, i.e. a collapse like this, would happen in a Grand Slam. I 
where when the intensity and the now or never element to it is so extreme compared to a tournament at a slightly lower level where yes i want to you know he needs to win he wants to win but it's not life or death in terms of his career where a grand slam he cannot allow that to happen um he also said that he felt dimitrov really flicked a switch in his in his own game and he said he played grigor a better level in the second half of that match than any of Medvedev's opponents throughout that US Open. Um, and then he, he gave this throwaway line at the end. He said, at this level, if he plays this level, he should win the tournament. But let's see the end result. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, it's like he's the, been on the, the Grigor Dimitrov journey with all of us. <laughs> exactly. Um, by the way, uh, at 9.29pm, just before I went to bed, the uh, the match was starting. So I saw one point of it live, the first one. And it was won by Dimitrov. And the way he won it made me go, ooh. And then I turned it off. Um, and then I watched the highlights this morning, and you know you were talking about his use of the slice mat, and and I came up with a description of of what I feel his tactics were. They were really clever tactics, and I, I to to kind of briefly uh, summarise them, I'd call it slice and shoot, because what he was doing is he was floating his slice backhand to just try and diffuse the game of Medvedev, and. Often he was looping his forehand as well. And then every so often he would absolutely blast his forehand mm. mid-rally. So it felt like Medvedev really didn't know which one was coming. Is it going to be this slow, floaty backhand slice? Is it going to be this looped forehand? Or is he going to flatten out the backhand and go for it down the line? Or is he going to swat a forehand cross-court uh, and like a dart being shot? And, and I, it was a really effective technique. Mm. I mean, I've seen Federer play Medvedev, I think, three times, and he's won all of those matches. It's probably before Medvedev really became what he is now, before that summer hardcourt run of 2019, all of those matches. But I remember thinking Federer had the variety and the change of pace and the shot selection to disrupt Medvedev. And I I think we saw a lot of that from from Dimitrov yesterday he's got options he can take Medvedev out of his rhythm that he loves so much and yeah he was it was brilliant really was um I think it actually reminded me of Djokovic's sudden inability to play his best tennis in that Olympic semi-final where you know he was in cruise control and suddenly his game just went and I think that stemmed a little bit from a sort of mental fatigue as well and it strikes me that's sort of what Medvedev's suffering a little bit that you described there post US Open um of course the other thing is yes Medvedev felt like a favorite coming into this tournament but I I never would have put him favorite above the field in a way that I think we've become so used to feeling in in men's tennis with the big three If, if a big three member is in form you think okay you take them ahead of the field but it's just a sort of readjustment of expectations that we're, I think, going to have to have over these next few years. Yes, Medvedev might be in really good form, but he's not Djokovic or he's not Nadal. I, I don't think he's going to be winning loads and loads of these tournaments, you know, 20 plus in the way that those players have. So the chances are he will have these lapses. He'll still win big tournaments, but I just don't expect him to be 
piling them up week in, week out in the same way that we've seen in men's tennis for like 10 or 15 years. That, I think that's why I just think in tournaments like this, the mix that we spoke about last week, for me, is always going to be bigger when the big three are not there. Because yes, Medvedev's great. Sitsipas is great. This generation's strong, but everyone else has just got more of a chance against them, I think. How many of these men's last eight are in the mix? I think most of them at this stage. Yeah. How many numbers? Is Cam Norrie in the mix? Is Grigor Dimitrov in the mix? Given they're well, on that I, side of the draw, I, I think probably yes. I would personally, I mean, I said there were three at the start of the tournament and I would still say there are three. Uh, I would move her catch into Medvedev's position now. Oh, you see what he's done there, Matt? Well, that is the other big implication of uh, Medvedev losing, Catherine's prediction. Mm. Let's talk about how many points I would get, Matt. It's so many, I can't remember how many it is. 500 and 500 something. 500 odd, yeah. Mm. Hold on, mm. I've still got pass. Yeah, yeah, Although but you don't get nearly got... as many points. Cause... No, and he's got a bad cold, apparently. So Has he? I don't like the sound of that. Mm. Um, I've just I've switched actually. I've switched my um my background music to Diminor Sitsipas from last night. That was great. Which was a, a cracker. I've just uh, had one eye on Diminor winning the opening set tiebreak. Um presumably he's going to go on now to <laughs> to lose the subsequent uh two sets. But it's good to see Dumanor playing some good tennis, isn't it? It's been yeah, a he, he, tough run for him. It was it was a reminder of how exciting he is, how fast he is, how hard he goes after the ball. Mm. You know, he's trying to hurt the opponent, even though he's physically inferior to to Sitsipas in terms of strength and br- raw power. But um, looking at his record, I mean, you mentioned the year he's had, and he referenced it in his press conference that he, the COVID he's had and the struggle with form. And he came into this tournament barely 50-50 for the year in wins and losses. 21 wins, 20 losses. And he'd lost seven of his last eight. Yeah. For a player his level, or the player that we think of him as, that's really poor. And, you know, it's it's quite interesting hearing them talk about their scheduling in that Medvedev said, I, I'm going to go to Moscow now, but I I really don't know whether I'll play. You know, I, he, he he I suspect he won't. And Dimonor was saying that he's down for about the next six tournaments. You know, he's down for several of the indoor European tournaments, and he was really hoping he could have a day off before Antwerp, but he didn't think he would be able to because the tournament's so stacked with players. And... It's tough being an Aussie, isn't it? Because he can't go home. Although although he bases himself in Spain, I think. Yeah, um, Alicante base, which is helpful for him, I think. But even so, you could tell he he said the problem is because I'm not winning matches, I then kind of have to play every week in order to try to get something going. Mm-hmm. If I could just have a a week where I got a run going and won some matches, I could maybe take the next one off, you know. But as things stand, he's he's desperate to play Davis Cup finals. He was saying, and um, you know, even though that stretches into December, but my word, does it make for a a long, hard year of, especially as you say, Matt, seven losses in eight matches. That That's seven weeks of your life where you're just miserable. Mm. You know, that's tough. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And and I think um, another man who's had a bit of this is, is Diego Schwartzman. You know, he's not, had a, he's not had a terrible year, but by his recent standards, there's been a bit of a drop-off and it's been very difficult for him. He's barely been back home 
since the tour resumed last year, I think he's he's had a matter of weeks back home in Argentina and he's been on the road the rest of the time. And, you know, it's been a good week for him. He got his first top 10 win of the season over Casper Ruud. He also saved um, match points in, in the second round, I think, against Cressy. And he came from a set and a breakdown against Dan Evans. He's he's really battled through this week, um, Schwartzman, and just looks more like himself again. So that's been good to see. He's playing Cam Norrie next. Norrie into his first ever ATP Masters 1000 quarterfinal. Neither of those players in your mix, David. What do they have to do? <laughs> Will the winner of that match get into the mix? Would the winner of that play the winner of Dimitrov and Hercatch? Yes. Is that where we are? Yes. I would say yes, then. Yes, the winner of that is in the mix. Uh, but I'm really impressed with them both. I mean, as you say, I mean, Schwartzman beating Rude is not a result I expected. And... Uh, I, I do love watching Schwartzman, and frankly, mm. I love listening to Schwartzman. He's just—he's so up for it all the time. He loves talking and playing his heart out in front of crowds, and crowds end up loving him, don't they? And as for Norrie, I mean, to beat Roberto Bautista-Gurt over a three-set epic—wow! Credit to him for that. And then he's backed it up and beaten Tommy Paul. And uh, I saw you mentioned last night, Matt and Catherine, that it was like a clay court match, really. Mm. Um, you know, with these, the way they loop the ball and the, the, the slow, high bouncing surface and all that sort of thing. But And of course, they both, re- you know, Tommy Paul is the lesser spotted American that loves clay. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. But Norrie just keeps on coming, doesn't he? And it did feel like in that third, it, 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 I think it was in the opening game of the third set. The third set, there were, I think there were five breaks, maybe even six at the start of the third set, five, I think. Um, and it just felt like Norrie went, I'm going to make this, I'm just going to drag you to wherever I need to drag you to to win this match because... I've got no problem going there. One of the He's so opening, accepting of it, isn't yeah. He? He's one of the opening rallies of, ugly of, tennis. of that third set was just utterly lung busting, and Tommy, you know, he played a really good rally, but ultimately lost it. And Camroy just looked up and and had a had a look about him of, I'm prepared to do that on every single point and not bat an eyelid. Yeah. Um, that's my vibe. Are you are you up to that? <laughs> Yeah, there was one game where it took Norrie 11 break points to break. But, you know, that was all right. Fine. If I can't do it on my first, I'll do it on my second, on my third, all the way up to 11. He's just got that (laughs) perseverance to keep going. And, you know, it's it's a really interesting match that because it's classic what Cam Norrie does because the eye test, Tommy Paul sort of looks like a better tennis player. He's got brilliant hands he's got really nice feel there's a nice flow to his game he can suddenly inject pace into the ball he can he can do loads of things but cam norrie has made a fantastic career out of beating players like that just through bringing what he's got point after point game after game match after match he's done it all year that's his 44th win of the year which you know it's a sort of apples and oranges comparison because most of Djokovic's have been at a higher level. That's the same number of wins as Novak Djokovic this year. For that to be a thing, you know, if you'd said that at the start of the season, that Cam Norrie would have as many wins as Novak Djokovic, <laughs> you'd have thought someone was out of their mind. And I, and, and I love that he's he said openly, I want to try and qualify for Turin. Mm. You know, it's still an outside shot. 
but he he wants to give himself a chance. That is his that's his goal, mm. and I just, I really love that. I, th- I think he'd probably have to reach the final of Indian Wells yeah. to stand a chance. Just with the point, I mean, he's a thousand odd points behind even ninth and tenth. Yeah, but it, it, it's highly unlikely, but why, why what, given himself, the position you know? he's in, why wouldn't that mm. be his goal? It's um, high, it's not more highly unlikely that he's in this situation yes. in the first yeah. place. No, no, no chance. If somebody asked us at the start of the year, would anybody even? Th- I wouldn't have even thought he would be top twenty. Really, not not no. close. No. Um, no. So no chance. Fantastic achievement. And, and by the way, one of the Alex Dimonor note. He was asked what he's going to do next. He said, "I'm going to go to Five Guys and I'm going to smash a double cheeseburger with bacon." Is what I'm going to do. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to have a dessert. <laughs> Strong. <laughs> yeah. Um we've got Zverev against Fritz uh in the quarter final in the sort of second from bottom section of the draw winner to face the winner of Sit to Pass against Basilashvili. Taylor Fritz has just beaten Yannick Sinner and Matteo Berrettini, both of them in straight sets. Where's this come from? I don't understand Taylor Fritz as a tennis player at all. I uh, he was he really is a lovely clean ball striker. Mm. Uh, and he was actually describing how he, he's practiced with Sinner a couple of times and really likes the exchange of rally strokes between them. And he says that Sinner feels the same about his ball and that they come through and it's a really clean ball to try and hit and, and that you get these these good rallies. But he was saying that he loves playing in Indian Wells because his family are there and he's surrounded by these feel-good vibes, and he just feels happier, really, uh, playing in that in that environment, and and it's kind of gets the best out of him. One of the notes is, I mean, he's only twenty-three. It feels like Taylor Fritz has been around for such a long time, and and he actually said, I, I think I will peak between the age of twenty-six and thirty. He he actually he sounds very ambitious the way he talks. Sometimes I doubt that when I, when I see his. Results. I sometimes think, you know, you're leaving something on the table. I think, and yeah, I think he, his view is that it's it's a building process. He says, I'm so far from being what I think I will be and what I can be. I love the idea of planning when to peak. Mm. Like, <laughs> how do you know you're not peaking now? Well, I mean, we'd I all we'd all like to think we're not peaking now, aren't we? And it that probably we'll, helps mentally, that, that, doesn't that it? That we're still climbing that. towards a peak. I mean, he may, he may be talking um, utter nonsense. I've heard tennis players say in the past things like that, and they've got nowhere near what they've said they'll do. But I do like the fact that he's he is thinking about it. Um, and I also think it it is one of those challenges of a player who's ranked in that ranking bracket where you're playing good players all the time, and you can end up going on a run. If you're anywhere near, anywhere slightly below your best, or if you end up getting rough draws, you can go on a Dimonor type run of seven losses in eight match in eight matches, and it can be really hard to take. And I think he's in that ranking bracket where he's not quite good enough yet to to get regular runs at tournaments. But well, that's that's two seriously good wins in a row. Matt, is it possible that you peaked on your nine k run? My ankle are certainly you, thinks are you, so. Are you planning to peak? <laughs> At some point in the future. Well, people are probably thinking, why have you done 9K? No one does 9K. Surely you do 10K. <laughs> you tried to do 10. <laughs> well, I didn't even I didn't even try to do 9. I was on a 5K and I just kept going. He just Go couldn't on, stop, folks. Mm. 
Yes, Matt. Like it. Tell you what, I'm going to be like Taylor Fritz, because I can, hoping to peak between the age of 26 and 30. He can still say, I'm hoping to peak between the ages of 26 and 30, Catherine. (laughs) How (laughs) sickening is that? Annoying. (laughs) Annoying. Um, uh, Zverev last night uh, beat Gelmont Fies to book his place in the quarterfinal. Obviously, before that, he beat Andy Murray uh, in Murray's follow-up match to the one that we discussed on the last pod, his win over Carlos Alcaraz. It was was a a tight two-setter, I would say, actually. Murray led with a break, in fact, at the start of, of both sets, and I'm sure he will have regrets about that the fact that he let lead slip he didn't play his best tennis neither of them did I don't think um he didn't play as well as he did against Alcaraz but I don't think he played badly uh, Russell Fuller didn't think he played badly he said as much in the phrasing of his opening question to Andy Murray uh, in the post-match press conference Andy Murray didn't like that too much and very much objected to the suggestion that he'd played even halfway decent tennis. Andy was in disgusted with himself mode um, in in the post-match press conference, wasn't he, David? Yeah, and it was classic Murray in that he came into the press conference about two minutes after the match had ended and he was clearly still fuming at himself and his own inability to, frankly, win the match. I mean, he just was so desperate to win, I think he always is anyway. I think it was heightened by the fact that he really wanted to beat Zverev. I mean, he, he smashed a sort of body blow backhand at the guy's chest on match point and somehow lost the rally um, and just stormed off the court, really, uh, and straight into the press comments. And uh, I mean, I must admit, if I'd have been asking the first question, I'd have asked it the same way as Russell did because I don't think he played badly, personally. I think he it wasn't the greatest match either of them have ever played, but he, he wasn't bad. But he can't handle it. He cannot handle this. He is feeling fit. He is looking fit. He is racing all over the shop. And for whatever reason, Andy Murray just doesn't think he's playing very good tennis when it matters most and against the biggest players and the decision-making and all this sort of thing that he's kind of prided himself his whole career over. And, you know, one of the questions I think I want to ask Andy Murray if if I get the chance to at some point is, what is the difference right now? If we take your physicality of the metal hip out the way for a minute, what is the difference between you now and five years ago? Uh, and I think in the, in the answers he was giving, he kind of gave that insight that he doesn't really know why he he's not able to find what he regards as his very best when it matters most, but he can't. It's just not happening. And I don't know whether that's the game having changed a bit, whether it's Andy Murray's slightly compromised physical ability um, coming into play or what. He He looks pretty similar I've got to say in terms of his movement right now I'm so impressed with his movement Mm. and he's so close in these straight sets defeats that we keep seeing him having I I think he will get there if he can just get enough of these in a row and come out with an half decent run at the start next year I think he could break through this glass ceiling he's found himself under aren't those two really big shifts right there that we've just mentioned one is that we're not scrutinizing his movement we're not wondering how he's looking going on to his right side or how he's lasting physically in his matches no we're scrutinizing his tennis in the key moments that is a shift that is progress that is positive compared to 
even Wimbledon, I would say, or certainly... Whatever you do, don't say Queens. this to Andy, no, Matt, because you'll get your head bitten off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other big shift is that I agree, it feels like he needs more time. And for a guy who felt like he was running out of time on his career and was you were squeezing every last drop out of it for the last few years, the fact that actually you think in three months he could be better, in six months he could be even better... That's a big shift as well. And I, I see that as really positive for Murray. So, yeah, of course he's frustrated. I think in particular it was frustrating, as you said, the manner of this loss. He had chances. The match point was incredibly frustrating because he had about four chances to put the ball away and didn't. And he went off the court sort of swearing at himself and whacking himself on the head. And then immediately he's in his press conference. I get all of that. It's... It's actually quite nice to see that fire still burning. But gosh, there are positive signs for Murray. Mm. Yeah, you know what he could do with it? And I can't believe I'm saying this because we are we're opposed to it in principle here on the tennis podcast. But he could do with a round robin tournament. <laughs> yes. Gar- it's guaranteed matches, isn't it? Yeah, it is guaranteed mm. matches. I just feel like the, the thing that I thought for about the third time in four years, I thought would bring his career to an end was the frustration at the recurring injuries, the the compensatory injuries, the pelvic problem, the the groin problem, all the things that kept going wrong aside from the hip. Um, The fact that he now has got this run, and I don't want to tempt fate for the poor bloke, but the fact that he's now established a run of consecutive tournaments without anything going wrong, he is getting incrementally better physically to the point where I no longer think about his physicality out on a tennis court. Just want that to carry on because if it can, he can do this. I mean, he's arguably already done it. I mean, the ranking's ridiculous. He's gone down to 170 in the world because of the way the points have dropped off. He's playing nothing like that right now. He is a top 50 player comfortably Mm. in terms of his ability right now. And I think it's going to get better if he can just keep this run going and keep and not not get put off by the frustration of it all and i don't believe he will because i, I personally can't believe that he's seen off the frustration of the last 3 4 years as it is and on that topic of minor injuries that he's been picking up notable i think that he said he's not planning to play the davis cup finals because that to me was sort of where it all started in terms of these small injuries that he was picking up you know that week in in Madrid he played one match and then didn't play again and then sort of since then it was a real struggle for him that is a demanding week the Davis Cup if if you're you know one of the singles players because it's a lot of tennis there might also be an expectation on on him to play doubles obviously Britain's got you know a lot of doubles options which is which is brilliant and that was sort of one of part of the reason he gave as well. You know, Evans, Nori, they're in great form. We've got a doubles team. I don't think they necessarily need me. Um, I think Murray would strengthen that team. But I really understand that decision in, in this part of Murray's career. It, it, it does make sense, I think. Mm. He's going to head off to Antwerp. Uh, where he's taken a wild card, obviously the tournament that he won a couple of years ago. So it'd be interesting to see how he fares there. He could do with some points to get that ranking up to where where we think it ought to be. Um, you know, he's he's defended taking wild cards. I've got no issue at all with him taking wild cards. Um, 
I'm, I'm not suggesting anyone ought to, but I'm sure he would love to not have to take wild cards. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, how he gets on in, in his remaining tournaments this year. Um, couple of other bits of business for you before we wrap up the pod. Riley Apelka has done an interview. Why is that news, I hear you ask? <laughs> well, he's he said some things, hasn't he? Um, he said a lot of things. And this is a really tricky one for us because we don't, well, I don't want to put words into either of your mouths. I, I, I don't want to encourage anybody not saying things. It's great to have someone speaking their mind and being prepared to talk. I disagree with pretty much everything he said in the interview. A um, couple of things I respectfully disagree with couple of things I really disrespectfully disagree with um, but I'm very much here for speaking their mind uh, for people speaking their mind uh, just to give you a bit of a flavour of what he said in this uh, very very roving in-depth interview with Inside Tennis Bill Simons uh, the uh, the interviewee that he was talking to um, can American men possibly emerge and get to the top pretty soon no no I don't think we can <laughs> Uh, on the subject of Labour Cup, he was asked, is it that Europe is just... Uh, and then the question was cut off by Apolka saying, the Russians, the Russians, they are here to stay and they are here to dominate for a while. Um, he said that he thinks that Jensen Brooksby uh, is a future world number one um, of the tennis media. He says these guys are terrible. There are some bad journalists. You have some guys that just criticise. They look to be super negative. Guys that know nothing about tennis. I think we have the worst media of any sport, quite frankly. Um, he's pressed on that a little bit further. Um, and he, he goes on to say there shouldn't be mixed doubles. Uh, they should get rid of it completely. It doesn't sell a ticket. No one cares about it. No one watches or wants it to be there. Just get rid of it and throw all that money into the women's and men's qualifying. Take care of your people that actually have potential to sell tickets. It just shocks me. The media is awful in our sport. It holds our sport back. It really does. Then he goes on to single out a couple of journalists for or broadcasters for, for criticism uh, and sort of explain some of his Twitter aggro that he's got into. Um, yeah, how, how did we feel reading reading about the mind of of taking a taking a journey through the mind of Riley Apelka? Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. It, it's great to hear somebody come out and just not care about how it comes across and how who's going to get upset about it on one level. Uh, unvarnished views as as I think they were described um, and look sometimes I find him really interesting as well I think he has got some interesting things to say on some subjects and uh, I think he's he's a bit different which which I also appreciate but yeah I mean to just tar every journalist as though they're all a single one of them and they're just we're all doing the same we're all making the same egregious errors in in judgment and an approach in a in a press conference as, as each other it's like it's like saying something that one player does on court and gets a code violation for then all tennis players are the same well no they're not 
Um, so I don't I don't have a lot of respect for the actual view there at all. Um, that, that he's, I just don't think he's given that enough thought, or and I think he's tried very hard to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean the, the mixed doubles one again. I just think it's la- it's a lazy viewpoint ultimately because later on in that interview he is fulsome in his praise for Venus Williams which I couldn't agree more with the the lovely things he says about her and yet she's somebody who's played doubles and and brought attention to the sport and wonderful moments in a way that I'm afraid Riley Apelka on his own serving is not going to do in in the main draw of an ATP event so you know I'm not saying that Mixed doubles is the be-all and end-all, but absolutely there should be a team event, as we've talked about many times, that incorporates mixed doubles and is put up in lights because that will sell tickets, that will bring positive attention to the sport. You're just being lazy, Riley, really, with your with your view there, I think. You're, not, you're just coming up with the bit that irks you. And um, But at the same time, you know, I, I'd, I'd still much rather have that that leads to this conversation than somebody who says nothing and nobody gets worked up over at all Mm. yes yes fair enough um last uh bit of news to bring you up to date with reported in the sydney morning herald uh south australian police officers forced to move nick kyrgios and his girlfriend into separate hotel quarantine rooms after the pair were involved in a heated verbal exchange. Uh, after months on the road together, Kyrgios and girlfriend Kiara Passari uh, returned to Australia after Kyrgios competed in the Labour Cup in Boston. At uh, the hotel in Adelaide last week, the, beca- the pair became embroiled in a loud argument about relationship matters, which led to police being called in the afternoon of Thursday, the 7th of October, 2021, the South uh, South Australia police say police were alerted to a verbal argument between two occupants uh, within a Medi hotel. An investigation was conducted. No offences were disclosed and both parties will now spend the remainder of their quarantine in separate rooms. Um, yeah, there's there's been there's been back and forth uh, by by both of them on social media that we don't necessarily need to go into. But um yeah, that's as much as we know officially. Sounds pretty unpleasant. Uh, if there's any more on that, we will keep you abreast. Uh, now, I did promise in our last podcast uh, movie movie review corner uh, with Matt and myself, but I've gone and done it again, Matt, and we've run out of time. But it's okay because I have, uh, in since our last podcast, discovered that I am actually going to see another tennis-related film at the London Film Festival tomorrow. I know, humble brag. Well, not even a humble brag, just a brag. <laughs> uh, I'm going to see uh, the London F- Film Festival uh, showing of King Richard, the biopic of Richard Williams um, and the the early lives of Venus and Serena Williams. I'm going to see that tomorrow. So I propose that on our next podcast, which will wrap up and review Indian Wells, it will also review the various tennis-related films that we have all been to see. David, if you see any tennis-related films between now and Monday, you are very welcome to talk about it on our next podcast. Do we have a deal? We have a deal. Uh, I'm still trying to work my way through things that you told me about I should be watching about four years ago at the moment. Yes. I'll try. Okay. 
sorry, listeners, for anybody that was tuning in only for our Citizen Ash review, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but do tune in again on Monday. How long can I keep this going for? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right then, I think that's pretty much it for our third Midway Indian Wells review. We'll be back with a proper full review of the tournament on Monday. Also film reviews. We'll be reviewing everything there is to review on Monday. We'll have Chris Albert Lee as our executive producer as always. We'll be able to let you know how we performed for our mascots Scouser, Mousel, Zeus and Rogue. Zeus, we are currently in line for I think 560 points. It would be big. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King. She is fast asleep right now. And I'm sure dreaming about Matt and David. She misses you both. (laughs) Uh, Sign up to our newsletter. Do all the things. Leave us an iTunes review. And join us again for our next news podcast on Monday. 